What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is episode 292 of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the program on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And you can follow our social pages for the latest updates on Facebook and Twitter slash X. Great to be back with you folks this week. Uh, obviously, didn't have guest Friday last week. Seems like a while since I've been uh, back on the program, but uh, good to be back. Um, obviously, if you've seen the social posts, you know that we're doing a mailbag this week uh, for the final guest Friday of the year. I'll be taking the week off next week just for the just for the holiday, but then we'll be back full force in 2024. So uh, looking forward to that. So yeah, here we are, episode uh, 292 today. Do guest Friday later this week. So obviously, if you have any uh, questions and you're a listener of the program um, and you want me to uh, answer any sports questions you have, just send them to me on uh, Facebook and Twitter um, and I will answer them on uh, Friday. So while that is all straightened out, get to the sports, um, get to the uh, the news this week. Um, I think we're going to start with the Patriots, you know, I think start with uh, Sunday's game against the Chiefs. Talk about that. You know, possibly look forward to Sunday's game against uh, Denver. Um, and I think, you know, um, as as I've said probably many times this year, you know, talking about this football team, it's 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 been a tough year. You know, it's it's not been a fun year. It's not been a fun year to, you know, see all the losing. You know, see the games that I think for so long we'd see them win. You know, and now we're on the other side, you know, and seeing them lose. And, you know, I think specifically the games where, you know, they had a chance to win. You know, obviously this past week, not quite one of those games, but I think the surprising part of this this season is I think just how quickly or how the bottom has just fallen out of everything. And, you know, I think at this point in the season, there still are reasons to watch. There still are reasons to, you know, try to be positive about this team and try to, you know, want them to do well, you know, despite being in a position where, you know, getting a very high draft pick may be in their best interest. But I don't want that to take away from, you know, them, them competing. And, you know, I think it was pretty clear you know, if you read, read the Globe at all, you know, going up, leading up to this game on Sunday, you know, there's a lot of conversation from players that, you know, made it clear that they're not trying to lose and they're not, you know, going to be tanking. And I think, to me, that's refreshing to see that the culture that you've tried to build with this team is, you know, still, you know, permeating in that locker room, even though it might be filled with new guys and guys that, you know, weren't, weren't around during the Super Bowl years. But I think, to me, that's the most important thing when we think about this team in the last, you know, three games of the season is, you know, maintaining a culture, maintaining a culture of hard work and being competitive and, you know, going out and trying your best. I know that that's you know, sounds cliche, but it's just like, 
to me, that's much more important than throwing games because you have a chance to get the number one or number two pick. And it's just like, that's not the way that, that, that I want the team to play. You know, sure, they're not very they're not very good. And obviously, like, they can go out and compete in these games and still lose. And that's, you know, fair because, you know, that's kind of what we saw Sunday where, you know, facing against, facing a pretty good Kansas City team, you know, you're probably going to lose games like this. You know, I don't think that many people, you know, were surprised or should have been surprised with the result on Sunday. You know, this isn't, you know, I kind of got frustrated with, well, no, you know what, I'm not going to get into that, but I think it was good to see this team play competitive football for, you know, a half. And I think seeing this team doing some good, solid things offensively, and I think I think a lot of, you know, and I think I talked about this last week when talking about the Steelers game, you know, kind of the frustration of, okay, where has this offense been all season? And granted, the offense last week and the offense this week are not like elite game-breaking offenses. But it's been so much better and so much cleaner, it feels like, for periods. Now it's not been a whole game. Absolutely, Patriots had their struggles in the second half last week and the week before um, against Kansas City and Pittsburgh. But you saw some flashes and you saw some good things. you know. And it just is frustrating to me that you look at someone like Bailey Zappi and yes, still is limited, still makes some of the mistakes that Mac Jones makes, but he's stepping up in the pocket, confident in his in his throws. Not, you know, freaking out if the pocket breaks down or is even close to breaking down or the pocket tightens, you know, and you bail out and make a bad throw. And I just watching some other games in the NFL, you know, even the Monday night game last night. Drew Locke stepping into throws, even if the pocket is collapsing. And it's just, I don't really know where that's gone for Mac Jones because he kind of saw it his rookie year, but it's kind of just disappeared. And I kind of think, you know, mentally, maybe his makeup is not where it needs to be. And that's kind of just what happened this year. Um, But I think... You know, looking at some of the, the the ways the Patriots were able to get, you know, Hunter Henry, Devontae Parker, you know, some of those guys involved in the first half, you know, it's almost like this is what the offense is kind of supposed to look like, you know, not completely, but there are, there are parts that you watch and you say, oh, okay, that's kind of what we expect and I think it's it's easy to look at this team and think okay season's over there's no point to the rest of these games but it's like some of these games are important to guys that you know are are young guys or guys who are playing for a contract or you know guys that are still establishing themselves 
as players in the NFL. And it just, I just, I get frustrated about the tanking mentality because it's this idea that games don't matter. And it's like, they do matter. And it's like every game is important for any type of player in the NFL. So I don't really want to spend a lot of time on, you know, kind of like the, ooh, where they could end up in the draft because there are still games to look at. And I thought, you know, another young defensive player that's really started to step up as Christian Barmore. I thought he had an excellent game on Sunday. I thought Jennings had a good game too. And I think those are two guys that I think could be potential kind of building blocks for the future. Kind of not sure about some of the other guys on this defense. You know, I think Duggar and Uche in particular, you know, up for contracts. And it's kind of not sure, you know, what the the thought process is with either of them. Um, but I think defense to me is not the area that is, you know, the, the concern with this team. And I think that's kind of what gives me kind of hope in terms of, okay, it's really just the offensive side that I think needs to be, needs to have some revamping. Um, and I think, you know, that's kind of where, it kind of is difficult to think about, you know, Belichick's future in terms of like people want him fired because the offense has been at times inept this season. I wouldn't disagree with that sentiment, I guess. But then it's like, you look at him as a head coach, he's done a good job at drafting and developing defensive players. So it's not like you can say, oh, the, the roster, it's it's like it's like if you say the roster management has been terrible in this and that and whatever, that's not entirely true because you look at some guys that they've had and they've drafted Barmore, Duggar, Jennings, Uche, you know, and not even guys that they've drafted, like guys that they've brought in, Jalen Mills, Jabril Peppers. You know, it's like, it's difficult because Bill's brought in some good players in the draft defensively. It's like, sure, offensively there have been some issues and maybe there me- there needs to be a change in terms of the types of players that they are trying to target. But, you know, it's not, it's kind of like incomplete, I think. Because you look at some other, you know, offensive guys, well, they drafted Douglas this past year. He's pretty good. You know, they drafted Ramondre a couple years ago. He's a pretty good running back. Like, they drafted Oweno. He's a pretty good offensive lineman. It's like, yes, maybe they've had some misses with the quarterback specifically, maybe with wide receiver, but you can't really point to a specific... I don't, I don't know. It, it, it's a weird thing because if you talk about, you know, the poor drafting, poor roster construction, well, it's not entirely true because you have some good players here and there. You know, I think maybe the thing is it's the high quality or the positions that are most important that, you know, maybe they're kind of coming up short with. But 
you know, I just, I seem to think that like with a off season with a lot of cap space, possibly a top two pick, you know, the Patriots could have some ingredients to kind of get this team back into being competitive. Because I like as much as this team is three and eleven and a bad team from what we've seen, I think the margin that this team is between being, you know, terrible and like mediocre, like the margin's not not that big. Because if you look at a lot of these games that they've lost in terms of, like, last possession or, you know, games where things have gone wrong at the end, you know, this team could easily have three more wins, and this team could easily be, you know, six and eight right now. And I think that's kind of where I think it's more of a player issue. And yes, I understand that Bill is responsible for a lot of that, but I think that there kind of were a lot of things that got away from them this year you know, injury and the quarterback, I think just, I think like not, I don't want to say not doing what the coaches are telling him, but kind of like, you know, you kept seeing the same mistakes over and over. And I don't know. I think that there's still a possibility for this team to get back to being competitive if all the right things happen. So you know, I think, again, is it like as the season winds down and you have some games left, I think it's important still to, you know, watch the team and watch the progress of some players and see, you know, what they can build into the offseason. Because whether or not Bill Belichick is coaching this team next season, this is going to be a pretty monumental offseason where I think that there could be big change with the roster. And I think if there is a coaching change, it probably means that there's even more, it's going to be even more change on the roster and it's going to be even more change on the coaching staff. So, you know, I think that there's a, there's reason to believe that this team could look very different next, next year, but I think there's still an importance for, the last three games of the season where guys want to do the best that they can and kind of build off some good habits at the end of the year. So I don't think it's watching with, you know, winning being kind of the paramount importance. Sure. I think I'd like to see them win one more game before the season's over because I think the guys work really hard and they deserve that. But you know, I think going into Denver is going to be hard. This is like, it's a difficult place to play still. Um, but I think, you know, Denver is kind of strange. They're kind of, they kind of been a strange team this year where I do actually think the Patriots may have a shot to win this game. But I think playing on the road is going to be difficult. But, you know, you never know. I don't anticipate that the Patriots beat the Bills. Uh, in week 17, I think the Bills will be pretty pissed that they uh, lost to the Patriots last time. So I don't anticipate a win there. You could see a win. 
in the last game of the season against the Jets. Um, I wouldn't put it past Bill Belichick and the Patriots to really want to stick it to the Jets and win that last game. And, you know, hopefully if it all shakes out to the Patriots' advantage, hopefully winning that last game may not be damaging to their, you know, draft pick hopes. I still think the Patriots have a very good chance to end up with the second pick or maybe even the first pick, you know, even with one more win this season. So we will see what happens, but, you know, still worth watching this team, at least to me. So um, I think that's going to be it for the Patriots. We're going to move on, talk a little bit about the Bruins, kind of a weird week for the Bees last week with uh, three games that went post regulation Bruins losing two winning one in a shootout, losing the other two in overtime. Kind of an interesting week. Bruins to uh, New Jersey last Wednesday uh, to Long Island to play the Islanders Friday. And then Saturday they were back home losing to the Rangers in overtime. So I think with this team, it's, you know, kind of, I don't want to say more of the same, but I think that looking at this team, it's it's complicated, right? Because you look at their record and you think, okay, this is a team that is as good as last year's team, just purely looking at the record. Looking a little bit closer, I think it's more obvious to see that this team is a team that I think struggles to score most nights when their top guys, you know, struggle, which, you know, isn't often, but I think it's a team that I think has some trouble scoring and has to, you know, rely on their goaltending and, you know, rely on their top talent to win games. Um, you know, I think thinking about Pasternak and, and Marchand in particular. Um, and so... Kind of hard to get a read on this team, I think. Um, and I think recently with some injuries, it's been a little bit more difficult uh, because the Bruins have been shorthanded and a little bit more difficult to kind of get a read. But I thought Friday's game in, in New York or on Long Island, I think it was a good indicator of this team really coming together and winning kind of a crazy game and a game that went back and forth. You saw their ability to be resilient, withstand a couple of range of Islander rallies, you know, rallying from a two goal deficit and then, you know, scoring the tying goal in the third period. Um, I think that that was a great example of this team's leadership and their ability to be resilient in any type of game. Um, and I think, you know, games like that for this particular team, I think are great for team bonding. You know, I think it was obviously a fun, probably a fun game to be a part of. You can play a kind of high scoring, high chance type of game um, and be able to get the win. So I was pleased at that effort. You know, I think, I think that like last season, losses are going to happen. And I think can't be too, you know, upset about Losses, I think, when they're losing in overtime and, you know, Bruins lose track of Trocek on the game-winning goal. 
it's like it's going to happen. You know, I think the thing with this team that's impressive is, yeah, they lose, but they don't, you know, get blown out. They're almost always in games. And I think it goes to show you that this is a team that is never really out of a game. You know, I think that on the flip side, Bruins have had a hard time holding leads. You know, both games they lost last week, 2-1, to one, had the lead in the third period, lost it. Um, I think the Rangers game was had less to do with the Bruins and more with the officiating, unfortunately. I thought that the Rangers got far too many power plays and far too many chances on penalties that shouldn't have been called. Um, but, you know, it's part of the game. You're going to get games like that during the season where you feel the officiating is not on your side. But, you know, Bruins do need to do a better job of trying to stay out of the box, you know, and, and protecting those leads in the third period. I think that's kind of been one of their biggest bugaboos this year is inability to hold third period leads. And you've seen teams tie games in final minutes and it's kind of something that you've seen you know start in last year's playoffs that the Bruins lost game six and game seven to Florida because of goals that they allowed in the final couple minutes um, and so I think it's just it needs to be cleaned up it needs to be something that is fixed with paying attention to detail um, and you know getting pucks out and you know being harder on pucks being quicker to the puck and I know that it's kind of easier said than done for someone that watches games but I think some of that energy and focus goes away in in the third period and the Bruins are you know susceptible to giving up chances and I just think they've had a lot of games this year where they're playing low scoring games and one mistake and you know you're screwed and I think one of the things that I worry about is just how much the goaltending is, you know, kind of so huge for this third. How much the goaltending is, it seems like stealing games and having to deal with so many high danger chances. And it does kind of seem like after a while, it might be, you know, a problem that it's like the goaltenders can get tired out with having to face all these high danger chances. And, you know, I think because of the goaltending, and I've said this all year, because the goaltending has been so, so good, you know, it's hard to kind of view this team. Like, it's hard to kind of look at this team for some of the flaws that they do have. And the record is, is outstanding. But I think the record would be much, much different if, the goaltending wasn't nearly as good. It's almost like you think about the Patriots when Tom Brady was the quarterback, that he was so good, he could mask issues that the, that the team had. Kind of feel like it's the same thing with the goaltending here, that it makes it look like they're an elite team in the Eastern Conference. I don't think they're as elite as the record shows. Um, I still think that there are areas that need to be cleaned up. So, you know, we'll see kind of going forward. Bruins have another kind of interesting week. They're at home against Minnesota tonight. Um, and then they have 
a pair of road games in back-to-back this weekend in Winnipeg and Minnesota. So Bruins have a little bit of a road trip, 22nd and 23rd, and then they're in Buffalo next Wednesday. So Bruins have uh, two games, Friday, Saturday, and then off for kind of the Christmas holiday and then back at it the 27th against the Sabres. So uh, Minnesota, interesting team. Didn't have a good start to the season. Fired their coach. Got a new coach, John Hines, in. And I think I've done. they've done pretty well. They've got a pretty talented team. So should be a good matchup for the Bruins. And then the Bruins and Wild will have a rematch on Saturday night. So I think good opponent for the Bruins to face. Um, I think a team that's playing its best hockey as of late. Um, and I think a team that'll be a good test uh, for the Bruins, I think, after last week. And some days off, which is good. Um, and I think Bruins kind of getting back to full health. McAvoy and Zaka both practiced yesterday. So seems like they'll be back in the lineup. And I think it's good timing. Um, and I think part of the reason why the Bruins let uh, Matt Potra go to the World Juniors. Uh, so he will be competing for Team Canada for the next couple of weeks, so obviously won't be with the Bruins, but have to think that the Bruins were comfortable doing that with, you know, Zaka returning to practice, that, you know, he can now slide back in at center. Um, so the Bruins likely, I think, rolling with Zaka, Coyle, Geeky, and... Uh, Beecher as the four centers. Uh, Morgan Geeky, I think, has been playing good hockey recently. That was really good to see on Long Island um, on Friday. I think that he really fit in well. And a guy that fit in well, I think, on the top line for a couple of games. So good to have Zaka presumably have him back this week. So, so Geeky can kind of go back to being more of kind of a middle six forward, which I think he's good at. So... You know, probably see him on the third line. Um, You know, I think Bruins have kind of had the lines jumbled a lot recently. I mean, I think has had a lot to do with Zaka being out and the Bruins kind of trying to find that best group of offensive players. Um, So it'd be interesting to see Zaka back. You know, how does that affect the lineup? Do the Bruins kind of go back to a top-heavy first line with uh, Pasternak and, Ma- and and Marchand. You know, do you see Van Riemsdyk back on the top line? I think he's been playing good hockey recently. Uh, he's up to 20 points on the season. You know, Bruins, I think... I'm not going to say the Bruins need to get Jake DeBrusque going. I think Jake DeBrusque needs to get himself going. Um, I'll just be honest. It's... I want to stop myself because... This is generally a program where I want to be kind of be optimistic and be positive. Um, But I'll just be blunt. I think Jake DeBrusque is running out of time um, in Boston. I just think, you know, the, the, the little things that he's doing are good. And I think he plays, has been playing the right way, doing things that are, you know, important for winning hockey and important for, you know, building good habits. And I think it's good that he's doing some of these things. But at a certain point, 
there needs to be production. And the fact that he has four goals in 28 games is really frustrating. And it's like, you figured that he was going to be one of their top scorers this year. And yes, there's been some change. But I think you you need to see more consistency from him from a production standpoint. So, you know, you hope that he can pick it up. But I just, I think his long-term future doesn't really look good here. Um, I just, they can't keep doing things to get him going. You know, he needs to get himself going. It's just, he's 27 and it's like he's not a young player anymore. And I just, the, the production needs to be, needs to start, you know, matching some of the good things that he's doing. Um, and I don't know, maybe I'm being too critical, but I think I just thought that he would be one of the top scorers on this team. And, you know, you look at someone like Van Riemsdyk, who's, I think, outperforming him and has outperformed him pretty much all season. And it's just, I don't know, not, not what I would expect, but I think it's definitely positive that Van Riemsdyk has been so good uh, and been so good recently. And Coyle has been good, you know, Marshan Pasternak, not guys that you really have to worry about. So, you know, hopefully with Zaka returning, they'll kind of get back to being a little bit more consistent offensively. Bruins also need more from the back end that just, it just needs to happen. There needs to be more production from, you know, Lindholm, McAvoy, hopefully when he's back. You know, Shattenkirk had a good couple of games where he had some points. So you hope that, you hope that that continues. You hope that with Zaka and McAvoy returning, they kind of get back on track um, tonight. So seven o'clock start against the Wild Bruins. Uh, will then be on the road in Winnipeg Friday night and then in uh, Minnesota Saturday night. So we're going to move on, talk about the Celtics. A 5-0 and homestand that the Celtics just came off and uh, played some really good basketball, I think. You know, beating, a, beating the Magic twice, a team that's given them some issues over the last year and a year and a half. <clears throat> I think a really important win, and I think important wins over the Cavs um, and the Knicks as well. You know, I think it's kind of been a theme this season where the Celtics are winning a lot of games that they probably would be losing last year, and I think it's showing some some growth um, and just showing that this team is able to kind of keep the same focus um, that they would, you know, earlier in games and kind of Sticking with it, you know, I still think the third quarter has been, you know, one of their only big issues this year, but they're doing a good job in the fourth quarter. And I think making the right plays and, you know, not getting too stuck in the isolation play and slowing the game up. Um, And I think wins against the Cavaliers were important because I do think that's a team you could play in the playoffs. Um, And then I think just imposing their will against the Magic um, Sunday was, you know, really important to see, uh, especially from Jalen Brown, who I think was outstanding in the fourth quarter. You know, I think it's one of those things that this team has so much talent that 
it's almost like a different guy can hurt you every night, but I think it just was great to see Jalen specifically have that big, you know, explosion in the fourth quarter um, because they think that he's a guy where sometimes the team really feeds off of his energy and it just was, it was, it was palpable. If you were watching that game um, on Sunday where he just had a massive fourth, kept hitting shots and was, you know, on fire. And I think it's just so interesting that it just seems like the, the energy is so much higher with this team and the excitement is so much higher, even if, even with them having the same record through 25 games that they did last year. Um, and so I think I've really been impressed with, or really impressed with this homestand that the Celtics won all five games, all against Eastern Conference opponents and, you know, all potential opponents in the playoffs. And the Celtics did a great job in the fourth quarter in all, in all these games. You know, I think Friday against the Magic, Celtics were dominant beforehand, so the fourth quarter really didn't, you know, mean much. But I think just the the guys really playing with the correct effort and the correct focus is good to see. Um, so Celtics on Friday were very shorthanded. You know, Porzingis sat out, Al Horford sat out, Luke Cornette also sat out, and the Celtics, you know, had a great offensive showing in this game against the Magic. You know, one of my concerns about the Magic is they are a big and physical team, and, you know, how would the Celtics match up? And, you know, we found the answer Friday night with, you know, Jason Tatum going for 30 points, the bench having three guys in double figures, including Pritchard with 21. And you saw O'Shea Brissett and, you know, Lamar Stevens play some significant minutes, which I think is good to see. You know, I think you would hope that the Celtics don't just, you know, do things like that because they're required to if guys are hurt. But I think seeing Stevens be able to start and be effective, seeing Brissett come off the bench and be effective, I think really helps the Celtics kind of have trust in both of those guys that, okay, we can call upon you whenever we need and you'll you'll give us some quality minutes. So I think, I hope that going forward, the Celtics can see more from the both of those guys specifically because I think, you know, you know what you're going to get most nights from, you know, your top six. And then, you know, if you want to make it eight with Hauser and Pritchard. But I think beyond that, the Celtics really need some consistency from other, you know, bench pieces. And I think, honestly, the consistency comes with playing time that maybe is not as sporadic as what it is now. And I think, I think it's important to kind of solidify that rotation. But I also think, you know, mixing in some minutes for Brissett and Stevens and Luke. Um, or Banton, you know, guys that I think could be valuable down the road if there are injuries, which they, you know, undoubtedly will happen, um, you know, or there's games where someone's in foul trouble. I think, you know, playoff-wise, maybe they don't get used much, but I think having them be able to be ready, I think is really, really important. So curious to see how the approach 
um, or what the approach is for this West Coast road trip. Celtics are in, uh, <clears throat> almost said Oakland, uh, in San Francisco tonight uh, against the Warriors, and then we'll play Wednesday against Sacramento. So back-to-back, -back, it'll be interesting to see how the Celtics manage that. Celtics may stagger uh, Porzingis and Horford. I think Porzingis still coming back from the ankle thing, or the uh, the calf thing, so... You know, it could be that Celtics want to be careful, maybe rest him for uh, one of these next two, and then Horford likely will rest for one of these games as well. So I think some interesting opponents. Gold State, obviously, pretty talented team still, even with Draymond Green being out. Sacramento, I think, good young, young team that could present some issues in the L.A. teams that, you know, older kind of veteran talent, but still... You know, teams that I think will give the Celtics good games. So I'm curious about, you know, all four of these games. So I think road trip-wise, it's always a good, you know, bonding experience. But I think, you know, as I said earlier about Brissett and Stevens, I do think that, you know, games like this where guys could sit out, you know, present opportunities for these guys. And I think, you know, giving guys minutes so that it's not like if you have to call upon them in the playoffs or in a late game, late season situation, they are not cold and they are not like, oh my God, I haven't played in, in three weeks. So, you know, and I understand that it's not going to be consistent every single game. You know, every single game is going to be different. You know, they're going to be different situations that arise and, you know, different parts that, okay, you may want to go with certain players, but I do think that there's value in giving minutes to some of your lesser or end of the bench guys, you know, who may not see a lot of minutes. So it'll be an interesting road trip for the Celtics, you know, looking forward to watching them play a couple West Coast teams. Celtics will obviously uh, play the Lakers next week on Christmas. Uh, worth mentioning, I won't be doing a an episode next Monday, I'll probably be doing it next Tuesday. Um, or no, excuse me, I'm sorry. Forgot that I was taking a break next week. So I'll be back with you probably January 2nd uh, for the next episode, just looking at some of their next few games. So got the West Coast road trip, um, and then they got home for two games, and then on the road for two. So, you know, that's kind of what the schedule looks like. For the next couple of weeks for the Celtics. And I think probably going to move on. Briefly, there's some Red Sox and Revolution updates. Uh, the Revolution currently uh, are finalizing a deal uh, to sign Caleb Porter to be their next head coach. Caleb Porter is a two-time MLS Cup winning manager. Uh, recently coached in Portland, or excuse me, recently in Columbus, um, as they won the MLS Cup in 2020. Before Columbus, he was also in Portland, winning the MLS Cup in 2015. So I think for the Revolution, this is an excellent hire. High, excellent hire. Uh, Porter's been a very solid coach in the MLS for quite a while, so... 
I honestly think this is the best hire the revolution could make. You know, I think looking at some of the other names, um, Bob Bradley, I think some name that you may recognize, some name that you may, a name that you may recognize um, as he ran the uh, U.S. men's national team uh, for a couple of years. Um, but I think best hire here. Um, and, you know, I think, <clears throat> I think excited about this team and excited about this hire um, because I think it's best possible hire a guy that's experienced in MLS. And, you know, obviously no one's going to be Bruce Arena. You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like replacing Bill Belichick respectfully. Uh, so I think that it'll be a challenge, but or a challenge replacing someone like that. But I think the revolution going and hiring um, an experienced you know, MLS manager, someone that's recently been coaching in the MLS as recently as 2022, um, I think makes a lot of sense for this team. And the team that I think is kind of a state of a transition is not the right word, but, you know, I think finding that right manager. And I think the Revs, found the right guy. So curious to see, you know, kind of some of the other moves the revolution make, but um, I think this is the best hire they could make. So um, exciting news there for the Red Sox. Uh, not much activity. There's not been a whole lot of activity in baseball. You know, take a look at some of the free agent signings, but uh, Red Sox have been relatively quiet, uh, signing a long reliever last week. <clears throat> um, and also signed... Roberto Perez to a minor league deal. Uh, he was a catcher recently in Cleveland. Um, so kind of similar to Jorge Alfaro, who the Red Sox had signed last offseason to kind of be, you know, a third catcher. But I think the Red Sox are pretty comfortable with Reese McGuire and Connor Wan. But, you know, always good to have some depth. So, you know, I think personally kind of surprised the Red Sox have been as quiet as they are, I think, considering the help that they need in the pitching, uh, the help they need in the pitching staff in terms of starting pitching. Um, but I do think that there is, <clears throat> there are a lot of people that are in on uh, Yamamoto, uh, who's that Japanese pitcher, one of the Japanese pitchers that um, has, is a very high profile free agent. And I think a lot of teams are waiting to see what he'll decide. Um, I do think the Red Sox are meeting with him at some point, but I don't know when that is. But I think, you know, the Red Sox need help. And I think you would hope that, you know, Craig Breslow and company would be a little bit more aggressive in their pursuit. You know, there have been some guys who have been signed. No one that I think really moves the needle, no one that I think people should be losing sleep over. Um, but I do think that, you know, if the Red Sox are indeed in on one of these top guys, they kind of need to get it done because, you know, you don't want the season to, or the off season to get away from you. And, you know, you miss out on a couple of top tier guys. Um, but I think it's clear that this is what the Red Sox need. And, there kind of needs to be a little bit more urgency. Um, and I think 
you know, already the solid trade for Tyler O'Neill. I really like that trade, but, you know, there are other, I think, more important issues that the Red Sox need to address, and I think it kind of starts and ends with pitching. <clears throat> and I think the Red Sox should be in the market for at least, you know, one top-quality pitcher, if not two. Um, I do think that Jordan Montgomery may be less likely, I think, with the news that Max Scherzer had back surgery, um, and so the Rangers, I think, might be more inclined to re-sign him. Obviously, it's not great news for the Red Sox, who I think could use someone like Montgomery, but, you know, we'll see what happens. I do think that once Yamamoto makes a decision and signs, then, you know, the, the floodgates will open. Um, I kind of thought that's what would happen with Otani, but not really, haven't, haven't really seen that. So, uh, yeah, we'll keep you updated. Any other Red Sox news? Um, there actually is some Red Sox news I wanted to get to at the end of the program, so stick around. We're going to do our quick whip-around coverage um, with the NFL scores in a moment. I'll take a look at some NFL notes. The Falcons are switching back to Taylor Heineke for the foreseeable future after they lost to uh, the Panthers this week. And DeMonte KZ from the Steelers has been suspended for the rest of the season for a hit um, on Saturday. So we'll take a look at some uh, at some scores from week 15. The Raiders... And Chargers on Thursday night, 63 points for the Raiders. Franchise record as they beat the Chargers, and Brandon Staley was fired soon after this game on Friday morning. So Raiders improve to 6-8, and eight. Chargers fall to 5-9. and nine. You have the Bengals um, and the Vikings. So a couple of games on Saturday. Um... Bengals with the win over the Vikings in overtime. Jake Browning with a good game. Bengals improved to 8-6. Colts improved to 8-6, 30-13 over the Steelers. Improving their playoff hopes. And the Lions get back on track with a big win over the Broncos, 42-17. Five touchdowns for Jared Goff. And then some scores from Sunday. Browns beating the Bears, 20-17. Browns are 9-5 with the win. Buccaneers back in the playoff chase with a 34-20 win in Green Bay. Texans get the win in overtime, keeping their playoff hopes alive, beating the Titans. The Dolphins shutting out the Jets, 30-0. Jets eliminated from the playoff from playoff contention. Dolphins 10-4 with the win. Saints beating the Giants, 24-6. <clears throat> Three touchdown passes for Derek Carr. Uh, Panthers getting their second win of the season, 9-7, beating the Falcons for their second, so yes, second win of the season. Field goal hitting as time expired. The Rams outlast the Commanders, 28-20. They're now in the playoff chase as they are 7-7. 49ers dominate the Cardinals, 45-29. A lot of offense there. 
with the Bills putting on a good performance at home, beating the Cowboys 31-10, the Ravens beating the Jags on the road 23-7, and then last night the Seahawks with a tremendous <clears throat> come-from-behind win, beating the Eagles 20-17. So taking a look at the playoff standings in the AFC, Baltimore, the number one seed, followed by Miami, Kansas City, and Jacksonville as the division winners. And then the wildcard teams, Cleveland, Cincinnati, and Indianapolis, with Houston and Buffalo right behind for that final playoff spot. In the NFC, 49ers with the number one seed, followed by the Cowboys, the Lions, and the Bucks as the division winners. And then the wildcard teams, Philadelphia, Minnesota, and the Rams with Seattle and New Orleans right there behind them. So take a look at some uh, NHL notes, some NHL notes right now. Uh, the Ottawa Senators fired their head coach, DJ Smith. Jacques Martin is now their new um, interim coach. DJ Smith was coach for four or five years. Senators never really made much improvement. Um, so he is out and a couple of goaltenders for, um, or one goaltender for the Kings, Phoenix Copley, placed on long-term injury reserve, and then the Flames bringing back Jacob Markstrom from injured reserve. So we'll take a look at some games on the NHL schedule tonight. Columbus and Buffalo, New York Rangers and Toronto, St. Louis, Tampa Bay, Philadelphia, New Jersey, Vegas, Carolina, all at 7 o'clock, and then at 7.30, Edmonton and the Islanders. At 8 o'clock, Vancouver and Nashville. 8.30, Colorado, Chicago, 9 o'clock. Ottawa, Arizona, 10.30, L.A. And San Jose. And so we'll take a look at some NBA notes. Yeah, take a look at some NBA notes here. Uh, the Lakers uh, raising a banner for winning the in-season tournament. Kind of an interesting interesting thing there. Um, DeMarcus Cousins has signed a deal with a team in Taiwan, so he'll be playing, uh, won't be playing in the NBA, but still a place to play for him. Uh, some games on the schedule tonight. Memphis and New Orleans at 7.30. San Antonio Milwaukee at 8. And then Phoenix and Portland at 10. Celtics and Warriors also at 10 tonight. So I'll take a look at some uh, baseball notes. There was a trade last week. Tyler Glass now being traded to the Dodgers from the Rays. And the rich get richer, the Dodgers acquiring every talented player uh, that you've ever heard of. So kind of interesting there. Uh, Lourdes Gurriel re-signing with the D-backs. And the Pirates signing former Red Sox pitcher Martin Perez. And then the Orioles' lease has been extended for Camden Yards for 30 years. So that's kind of some interesting news. Camden Yards is a really nice place to go visit if you've ever been there. was lucky enough to go to a Red Sox-Orioles game. Uh, when I turned 13, so a really nice ballpark. Nice that they, uh, the ballpark will, will, will be there for the foreseeable future. Um, so 
before we go, just want to extend some congratulations to uh, three former Red Sox players that will be inducted into the Team Hall of Fame this upcoming season. Dustin Pedroia, Jonathan Papelbon, and Trot Nixon. <laughs> three uh, definite fan favorite fan players. Um, so congratulations to them. They'll be honored with <laughs> a pregame ceremony before um, a game this spring. So exciting for all three of those guys. And big parts of uh, what the Red Sox have accomplished over the last, you know, 20 years or so. So exciting for all three of them. So um, I think that's probably going to do it for me this week. Uh, probably, you know, last regular episode of 2023, but we will be back um, in the new year. Really excited for that. And uh, yeah, guest Friday later this week, mailbag. Again, if you have any questions on sports, do not hesitate to let me know. You can reach out on uh, Facebook and Twitter, either my personal pages or the podcast pages. Uh, so looking forward to answering your questions later this week. So we will, uh, we will talk to you then.